Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello and welcome everyone to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and with me in studio today in Normal, Illinois, is Father Thomas J. Loya, the pastor of the Annunciation of the Mother of God, Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois. He is also the host of Light of the East Radio, heard on EWTN radio affiliates, Ave Maria Radio, and the Guadalupe Radio Network. He is a member of the Tabor Life Institute for the Education and Formation of the Theology of the Body, and he is a conference speaker for Tobiah, Theology of the Body International Alliance. Also, Father Loya is a sensational painter of icons, has a strong presence on social media, and as you'll find today, has a wealth of knowledge on, well, a lot of things. Today we'll talk about, however, why Catholicism is the answer to a hurting world. Father, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, uh, Paul. Uh, I didn't, that introduction, was that me? Are you talking about me? Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Hey, it is a pleasure to have you in studio today. And we have been talking for about an hour before the show even started. You're <laughs> yeah. very good at what you do. And we had three people in here asking you all sorts of questions for a while there. <laughs> but, Father, you're the type of man who can talk about a lot of things because you've learned, well, a lot of things. Can you please tell the listeners briefly about just your educational background and, and what kind of titles you have? My educational background is, well, I went to uh, art college at Cleveland Institute of Art because I was always good in art and decided to make that my career. It just seemed like a natural thing. Uh, but the, the thought of the priesthood was never totally remote from my mind. Uh, I do come from a long line of priests in my family, both sides of my family. In our case, a lot of them were married because uh, in the Eastern churches, married men can become priests, but we also have, also have celibate priests too, and I'm one of them in my family. So there were a lot of father lawyers running around the church, you know. So, so But during the art school time, um, I started thinking uh, seriously about the priesthood, and I got out of art school, and I worked for a while as a professional artist. And ironically, or providentially, my first job out of art school was with a church design firm. <laughs> I was looking for work, and they had an opening there. So and that's something. So I um, worked for a while, uh, about a year, and then I went into the seminary. I went to our Byzantine Catholic Seminary, which is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for a while. Then I also finished up in the uh, seminaries in Rome. Uh, so I was, I was over there in Rome during the time of John Paul II, and then I was ordained in 1982, and uh, as I was functioning as a parish priest, I knew that I, well, I knew I was helping people and with a lot of their problems and so on, so I thought, you know what, maybe if I took some uh, counseling courses, so I actually pursued a master's degree in counseling and human services, which helped my priesthood, you know, for counseling and spiritual direction and so on. So I got that degree, and uh, and then I also have, of course, my fine arts degree uh in art, and also my uh, STB degree in theology from uh, from Rome, and those are my my degrees and so on. And but you know the thing is is um, during the years of my priesthood, the best way I can describe it is so much of what I have ended up doing and being I would have never have predicted. It was uh, the Lord basically just opening doors for me, and I walked through them. Every time I walked through it, another door opened. And so I became interested in working with people in, in terms of counseling and so on. But then while I was in Rome, as I mentioned, I, I heard John Paul II's Wednesday audiences, his live audiences. 
And, you know, I'm a young man then, and uh, I'm just interested in art, so it was great being in, in that atmosphere in Rome, you know, all the art and so on. But also I was interested, I was always very interested in this whole world of the human person, love, marriage, man, woman. I always had an interest in that. I would read, and uh, in fact, Bishop Sheen, I used to draw a lot from him too. He used to speak about these things. Well, I'm listening to John Paul II do his catechesis every Wednesday live. And I'm thinking, this Pope, he's talking a lot about marriage and love and man and woman, all and sex, that kind of thing, you know? And I kept hearing him talk about that every week I'd go. And I thought, this is really fascinating. I'm really, really loving this. Well, I get ordained a priest. I come back to America, and I'm in a Catholic bookstore, and I see a book on the shelf that says, Theology of the Body, John Paul II. So I picked it up, and I look, or leaf through it, I Lo and behold, those are the talks I heard live. <laughs> they were put into a book which now became known as His Theology of the Body. And what happened was I, I got an opportunity, like I said, a door opened for me to uh, speak on that subject because I was learning it and I heard it from the Master's feet, right? The Master's feet himself, John Paul II. And so um, I gave a talk at a conference and then one thing led to another. And I began to be asked to, to, be, to speak more and more and to write things and so on. And then we formed this Tabor Life Institute, which is based on John Paul II's thought, in which we use use it to uh, articulate the church's teaching on this whole world of man, woman, why we're man, why we're woman, you know, what the world is confused about. Because I, I knew he had the answer. John Paul II, he formed the, formed the answer about all that for the modern world. And I thought, wow, if people just learned this stuff, all the whys, all the why behind everything, would the, the people would see the beauty of the church's teaching on these things if they know the why of it. And that's what he did. That was a trick. He he presented the why behind it. And so I, I became dedicated to that, and I still speak a lot and write a lot about that on that subject. And this Table Life Institute we formed as a kind of a, a venue or platform for me to work out of. And then I got uh, more involved in, in media. I developed uh, the radio show Light of the East, which, uh, as I mentioned, uh, will be heading towards a thousand shows pretty soon. So, <laughs> and it was to present the riches of the church East and West, especially Eastern churches. A lot of people don't know about the Eastern churches and where I'm from, but it was also the, the riches of the Latin Rite and and the Byzantine Rite. You know, the Eastern Eastern churches, how the church breathes with both lungs. Then I got into social media. I started doing things on Facebook. These little little short meditations on just about every subject, and I do them live. Been doing them for years now, uh, live every day. And uh, so I guess I've been very, very dedicated. My, my priesthood has been, I've been called, I think, and I love it, to getting the word out there to the world. You know, this this liberating, beautiful truth of God and as articulated by the church. You know, when you, you fall in love with God, you fall in love with everything he's done, you fall in love with life, you fall in love with the church— you know, like St. Augustine said, joy is meant to be shared. You can't, you can't keep it to yourself. So I look for every avenue I, I can and any way I can to uh, bring to the world this liberating, beautiful teaching of God. I say it's God's teaching, not the church's. The church, church doesn't have teachings per se. They don't own them. God has them, and we point to them. The church distributes them to the world in a sense. The church is a delivery system for God's order of creation. Right. And of course, you were you were talking about the Light of the East radio show that you host, the Eastern Rite of Catholicism, that includes a Byzantine Catholic Church of which you are the parish at. And also, to everyone he mentioned, uh, social media, follow Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish on Facebook. I highly recommend it. He posts daily videos. A lot of them are very funny. I am actually very impressed with how funny you can be. You got Southside Joe, one of the characters that you you made. 
They're bite-sized little videos. They're very, very good. Some of them are very popular. Uh, great stuff. I highly recommend that. You spoke about how you want to spread truth throughout the world. That's part of your role as a Byzantine Catholic priest. The truth will set you free. And we are talking today about hopefully setting some people free. How Catholicism is the answer to a hurting world. Let's start with the problem a little bit. Father, could you please tell us a little bit about how the, the world is hurting in the first place? Some people, especially on the left side of the aisle, would say that the world's actually not hurting. It's actually fantastic, especially here in America. We're, we're inching towards equality. Man and woman, they're, they're not so different now. There's less oppression. There's less this. There's less racism. Uh, we're going in the right direction. Sexuality, finally, we can uh, express it however we deem fit. And we are the masters of our own destiny and everything else. Why is the world hurting, especially in, I guess I'd say, the Western world, but here in America? Well, Paul, what you just articulated there about the left is actually not reality. It's ideology. They say it's good because they're forcing, forcing, emphasis on forcing and manipulating the world, especially now America, Western civilization, to to go in that direction. And that direction, well, look at the results, you know, broken families, all kinds of sexual pain and perversion, wars, strife. What's, is there any point to anything that's working right in this world today other than this radio station? <laughs> Education, government, marriage and family, sexuality, relations between nations. What is working right? Nothing. Uh, nothing is working right. There's flashes of brilliance, but basically nothing's working right. So when they say it's everything is working well, well, look at the facts. Every, everybody's miserable. The number one malady in people's hearts today, and I'm a counselor too, it's everybody, everybody, especially young people, have anxiety. Ooh. Why Why are we anxious if everything's working well? See, because the it's always a matter of a battle between reality and ideology. Now, ideology comes from the word, it's spelled I-D, which is where we get the word idiot or idiosyncratic. It means I, like Freud, the id, it means the me, I, I. The world is how I think it should be, and I'm going to make it that way. And ideologies are not reality, so they can't take naturally. They can't take in the human spirit. God did not make us for ideologies. He made it made us for his order of creation. So what do they do? They have to manipulate. They have to do it by force. That's why we're all, you know, we have to talk a certain way, can't use certain words, or whatever. Otherwise, you're going to get nailed. You're going to get canceled. You're going to have your reputations ruined. We see what's happening with political figures like Trump and so on. We see what they're doing. It's, it's like you have to toe this line, speak this language. You must accept this because you don't, you don't accept it naturally. So it has to be forced. Ideology has always a force behind it, intimidation, manipulation. Reality, on the other hand, is about God's order of creation, how things actually work. You know, what? how are we made? How do things work? What is, what is God's creation, the why behind it? And right now we're seeing a great clash of that. It always has been from the beginning. See, it, the way it works is this. There's one mystery, one central mystery. It's called the great mystery, hidden for all times, now revealed with Christ. And that mystery is the incarnation. In other words, the invisible God becomes visible through his physical order creation. That's all you have to know in life. Everything unfolds from that, which means that the world that we live in, the, the created world, God's created world, nature, human beings, man, woman, all those things that are natural to us, those things are participation in revelations of God, of the heavenly reality. And 
when you see life that way, I call it putting on Catholic glasses, in other words, uh, sacramental glasses. When you see life that way and you live it, everything you touch turns to gold. When you don't see that, or if you refuse to live that, everything turns to garbage and pain and hurt and chaos. And see, that's what Catholic is. Catholic, we shouldn't think of Catholic as a religion or teachings or rules. Catholic is simply the way, the way. Catholic is simply seeing the invisible God made visible through his own order creation and living according to that that vision. That's what Catholic is. Catholic is about the way. There was only one way, and that's that that reality. In fact, if you go back in the scriptures, you remember in Acts of the Apostles, it says in there, and they were called Christians for the first time. The Christians were practicing this way, but they had no name for themselves. They just lived it. They just lived Christ. Later on, they started to get names. Then later on, Catholic came. Catholic came only because other religions came up, Protestantism and so on. But really, we're not part of a religion, even though we're called that. Religion is too limiting. And there's another reason why I insist on that, because what happens today is people talk about religion as though they're all equal the same. It's like a smorgasbord. You just choose and pick what you want. It's all the same. What's the big deal? Why should Catholics tell us what to do or whatever? Well, see, that's a, a wrong idea. We're not, a, we're not about religions. I mean, you could say that, but not really. We're simply about seeing that invisible God made visible and living according to that and pointing it out to the world, telling, look, look, world, here's how it works. Here's how, it, here's reality. And it's wonderful. It's true, good, and beautiful like God. If you live that way, everyone's going to be happy and we'll be happy forever in heaven. If you don't live that way, you're going to hurt each other. We're going to hurt. We're going to be a world of hurt. It's not about this is the rules and we're imposing something on you. Or like, like we made this stuff up, a bunch of celibates in Rome made stuff up and imposed it on us. You know, how dare they? It's not that at all. It's about God made it up. And we simply point to that and, and, and immerse ourselves in it and participate in it. It's a mystery. The reason why the world is hurting is because it has disengaged from that reality. The world lacks the mystical, the mysticism. You're, you're familiar with Chesterton, right? Mm-hmm. What he said, you know, he was big on that. He says, you know, mysticism is what keeps people sane. Without that, we go crazy. And what he means by mysticism is not this like spooky kind of thing we think it is. You know? Mysticism means simply seeing that reality, seeing that invisible God made visible and living in that, knowing that there's so much about God we know, but so much that lies beyond us. We can't even describe it, but we know it's there. You know, it's like love or life. You know, we can't put love in my hand, not love itself, right? It's an invisible reality, but it's real. It's the most real thing in us. We search for it. We'll do anything for love. And we know that there's life, but we can't put life in our hands. We can put signs of life. But what is that thing that animates our body? Can you put it in my hand? You can put it under a microscope. Can you catch it? No. It's, it's, it's beyond us, yet it's real. It's the most, love and life are the most real things. That's what mystery is, something that is real. Mystical means the, what is most real, even though we can't fully describe it, but we know it even beyond description. We know more about what God isn't than what he is, actually. As much as he's revealed himself, that's why in the prayers, like in my church, we pray kind of in the negative. We keep describing God as uh, incomprehensible, ineffable, uncontainable, infinite, invisible. Those are all negations. So we we learn who God is by who he isn't, in a sense. It's like 
positive learning by negative learning because it's a way of saying that this mystery is so real, we can't even find the adequate words to contain it, but we know it's real. We know some things, yes, but but the full extent of God and his whole wisdom order creation lies beyond us. So we use words that tell us, that say, we don't know fully. We know what we don't know fully. We can't describe it. God is all all so beyond us. And that's what mystery is. Mystery is what is most real, even though we can't always put in our hand, you know, put it down into little labels and words. That's why in the church, in the Bible, it uses allegory, metaphor, analogy. You know, the whole relationship of God between God and us, if you take the Bible, all the ways it tries to describe it, the predominant way is as a marriage a spousal mystery. You know, we're God's bride. He's the bridegroom. It's the best way. You can describe God a lot of things. You know, he's your father, creator, and so on. When you really come down, when you try to capture in some way this mystery, this love of God, and you really think about it, you know, it's kind of like a marriage. He created us as a bride to love us and he united himself with us and he wouldn't stop till he brought his bride and put us on the throne of heaven with him. He took every hit for her. He went into hell for her. You know, like a like a loving husband. A loving husband would do anything for his bride. He'll bleed for her, take every hit for her. So Christ did. Same thing. Wow, man. <laughs> it, incredible. I mean, you're talking about the intangibles, right? This these truths that can only be understood through metaphors spoken yes. in the Bible. Right. It makes it makes perfect sense. And you spoke about putting on the Catholic glasses, and yes. only by doing this. Can we begin to make sense of life, maybe, or live in a, a less hurting world? Yes. You talk about understanding the, the most central truth or the most central mystery, If and I forgive me if I'm putting this in the wrong words, of just understanding that the invisible God was made visible. Yes. This truth, and how if you just understand that, you can begin to see the world more clearly, maybe. I want to ask you about how if you fail to understand that, Maybe you can give me some examples of why that will lead you to live a more painful life. And if that is done at scale, why the world will hurt more. But first, before we get into that important question in your, I'm sure, fascinating explanation, we have to say thank you to a few of our beloved sponsors. We'll be right back to this great conversation on Catholic Conversations. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in blooming to normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. There's a new app! So Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones, tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple App Store to find the app Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free! New app, same quality programs.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm Paul Garcia, and I'm speaking with the one and only Father Thomas J. Loya. Before the break, we were just talking about how seeing the world in the correct way, understanding this this mystery of the invisible God made visible in Jesus Christ, somehow, by doing that, by putting on your Catholic glasses, this can lead you to live a not-so-painful life. And done at scale, this can make the world a less hurting world. Please explain why understanding this mystery, this truth, can help us to live as God wanted us to live in a less painful way. Explain why that's the case and how, also if you can, not doing so can lead to a more painful life. It's all about this, as you're saying, seeing, seeing. Okay, how do you see something? If we see each other, if human beings see each other, and this is, again, reality versus ideology— what is a human being? Human being is made in the image and likeness of God. If you see someone that way, if you see human beings that way, what's that going to mean? So it's two parts. You see it, so you see the reality that elicits a response, a way of behaving towards what you see, right? So if you see someone, if you see that and believe that, you can see how they image God, how they have transcendent qualities that image God, that every person is a mystery beyond the sum of their parts. You see that beauty. You see that mystery. How are you going to treat them? You treat them with love and respect, right? That's going to be your natural response. But if you don't see them that way, what are you going to do? Abuse them. Take the environment. Big thing, environment today, talk about climate, all that. If we see that the environment, the earth, reveals God, how are you going to treat it? You're not going to pollute it. You're going to take care of it. You don't have to be an environmentalist to do that. You don't have to be a part of a trend or a fad or an ideology. You just have to be Catholic. In my church, uh, we have Tenacre property that we have made a uh, very involved uh, water management, sustainable environment master plan where we restored all the indigenous vegetation of the Illinois, you know, the prairie and something like that. And that has actually changed the entire community there, changed people's lives, solved water problems at two counties. My street straddles two counties, Will and Cook. They could not fix the water problem. <laughs> we bought the property. All those tax dollars, our little old parish fixed that water problem for the entire community. We're it. We're like, if the water, the natural water comes to our property, if it works right, everybody's fine. If not, the entire region floods. We're it. And they couldn't figure it out. We came there with our sacramental Catholic worldview, and a lot of people were trying to keep us out because they thought we we're going to make it worse. You know, with our, we're going to build our church there and um, what's the church going to do that these professionals can't? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we said, no, 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 you don't understand. We 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 wear these glasses. We see things differently. We come into community to make it better to bring to make the King of God on earth. We'll fix your water problem. And sure enough, we did. And how did we do it? By God's nature. We put the plants there that God put there. Why did he put them there? Because they wouldn't cause flooding. They would stop flooding, and there would be a natural waterway, natural ecology, and that's all we did. Well, now we won all kinds of awards, including the, the, the uh, Chicago Wilderness Award, very prestigious. I've had, I've had environmental companies want to hire me to work for them. I said, I'm just a priest, you know? I'm not an environmentalist. All we did was put our cap and glasses. We saw how God does things, and we did things that way. And it has brought nothing but blessing to the entire community. The people that fought to keep us out have given us multiple awards. They can't imagine how they live without us now. That's very, very interesting, only because, well, for a number of reasons, but one of them is 
one, you must have a lot of faith in this this ideology, this way of seeing things, because I guess it's not exactly natural to understand that if you said that God made the planes and everything in a certain way to bring about the best result, and to believe that and to return, sometimes I guess what I'm saying is we believe that man-made constructions improve the world, improve these environments as if they weren't fine the way they were originally. (laughs) And to believe that, no, let's just return it to how it was naturally is actually the best thing. That's kind of a leap of faith. That's truly believing that the God must have made it the way it should be. And this sounds silly as I'm saying it. And then it reminds me of things that St. Thomas Aquinas has said about the right order of things, returning it to its right order. That's exactly it. That's the whole key, the right order. When it comes to environment, like you're saying, what happens is, again, go back to the Bible. Man was kind of a co-creator with God. You know, God created and entrusted man to this creation to do things with it, to build things. But here's the key, according to his order, his order. So when we did this environmental work, in fact, it's so providential because when we did this, where we built our churches in Homer Glen, Homer Glen was just becoming a newly incorporated little village. And guess what their motto was? Community and nature in harmony. Now we translate that. That's the sacramental worldview. It's 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 community in harmony with God. Community, nature, in harmony with God. In other words, in their own way, they were saying, "Wait, this is how na- things are here in this community, na- nature-wise, and it's good. When we see this good, we want to preserve it that way. So we're going to build our town along that that sort of character." Well, we came along, and in that very town, did the same thing. Only we stepped it up with the sacramental worldview. In other words, what happens is you cooperate with God in nature. We still built our church. We still have a driveway and a parking lot and stuff, but yet we did it with, not against God's order. Now, we did just come in. See, we, when you don't approach things sacramentally, you approach them in either or way. Let's just bring in the bulldozers and run everything out of here, you know, and then put up these buildings and that's it. And then the water's going to run off and flood and what are we going to do with it? No, what you do is you say, okay, we need this and this and this. We need our church. God wants to have a church, but this is also God's property, God's land. How do we do put those things together? How do we cooperate with God, with God's order, and still get what we need? That's how God designed us. He gave us the He gave us the world, the earth. You know, gave man dominion over it, Adam and Eve. So He said, "Okay, I gave you all this stuff. Now you work with it, but work with it according to My design." So when you say that we improve things, when men improve things, they do so if they're doing it in accord with God's order, not just on our own. See, that's the key. That's the difference. Think of everything, all the greatest things in the world came from the Catholic ethos. And again, remember, Catholic is more than just a religion. It's a way of seeing and living according to that. The greatest artists, the greatest music, the greatest architecture, the greatest education, the greatest hospitals, the greatest everything came from a Catholic ethos. Why? Because what the Catholic ethos does is it puts on its glasses and it discovers God's secrets. Like, what makes something beautiful? We look and we see, ah, God did this. There's symmetry, there's order, there's a ratio, there's balance, there's this and that. We, we, we discover that. It's like you're discovering God's little secrets. Then you use those, and lo and behold, you make the most magnificent artwork there is, the most magnificent buildings, the greatest education, the greatest libraries, the greatest everything came from the Catholic ethos. It did. And, and the Catholic faith, the church, going all the way back to the beginning, was able to even utilize what 
the pagans before them had discovered about nature and things because they knew that that was just God speaking even through them. It's just that we knew who the real God was. So we took those secrets and then we found even more. And so now we know what makes something beautiful, what makes it good, because we we're, because we looked at, kind of took it apart. You're like, what makes this beautiful? What is the principles? Why you look at something and say, wow, I like that. That's beautiful. What a beautiful home. What a beautiful church. What a beautiful whatever. It's, there are secrets in there that God put in there. And Catholic discovers that and uses that. Again, we don't make up our own secrets. All we do is find God's secrets and use it. There's some, this reminds me of things I've heard from Bishop Robert Barron. Mm-hmm. And he speaks about there being an objective beauty. Yes. There is such a thing as an objective beauty, whether you like it or not. Some of the beauty lies in mathematics, which are discoveries of the exactly. certain properties that uh, govern the universe. All, I mean, when you think about it, they were implemented by God himself, created by God himself. And when you discover these mathematical properties and you build architectural churches, I mean, mm-hmm. things based off of these right. mathematical findings, right. they are beautiful. Even mathematicians I've heard talk about when they were testing a mathematical formula or something like that uh, to see if it's right, they have to figure out if it's beautiful. And beautiful right. is a technical term, I believe. Yes. Um, tell me one more time, if you could reiterate what this Catholic ethos is, that if you live your life through this lens or through this idea, through this truth, your life will be better and more how God wants it. What the Catholic ethos is, is the ability to see reality according to God's design and then to respond to that. So um, let's take the Mass, take you know our worship. The human being, the human creature, is the only creature on earth one of the things that separates us, there's a lot of things, but one thing in particular that separates us from all other creatures is this. We're the only creature that can see, perceive the wisdom, the beauty, the glory of God revealed. Be thankful for that and offer it back to God in praise and thanksgiving. Translated, the Mass. We're the only creature that can offer so in other words, we see, we respond, and we offer. That's why when we're at Mass, when you're at Mass, we call it liturgy in the Eastern Church, same thing, especially the Eucharistic. It's any kind of the prayer of the Church, all the different prayers of the Church, but especially the Eucharist, the high, the highest you know, form. When you are there and you're participating in that, you're actually participating in what is the most loftiest human endeavor. That's when, we're in a sense, we're being most fully human because we're doing the one thing that only human beings can do, offer back to God in praise and thanksgiving for what we see. That's what Catholic is. It's seeing, responding to that, seeing God's ways and responding to it in everything we do, everything you touch, you do through that ethos. Government, let's take government, take laws. Upon what do we base laws? You see now, it's chaos. No, yeah, that's it's based a good on point. ideology. It's, they just pass laws now, you know, right here in Illinois, where, you know, criminals can't be detained. If, if trespassers come on your property, there's really not much you can do. They can eventually be squatters, nothing you can do, essentially. 
What is that based on? It doesn't have any reason to it, any logic? No. It has no sense of what a human person is, personal rights, nothing. It's just an idea. It's an ideology. And that creates chaos and hardship. So when you talk about laws, laws are made for what? For the for the benefit of community, of society. Okay, so you have to understand what is society? Society is made up of persons. What's good for a person? Now, the world can't answer any of those questions. You saw the Supreme Court uh, nominee, the one woman, and they asked her, what is a woman? And well, she is I'm a woman. not a biologist. I'm not so. a biologist. Yeah, she didn't know. She wouldn't say what a woman is. Well, we, see, we can't say. We don't know what anything is because we've detached from that mystical. And therefore, we have no grounding for anything. So you just make up something. So if you know what a human being is, then you know what the needs are of a human being. So now you start to design your culture, your society, and your laws based on an understanding, that mystical understanding of the human person. You know, we're not just flesh and bones. We're not just creatures walking around. We are, we are made the image likeness of God with particular needs that have to be protected. You know, when you go to Europe, for example, Christian Europe, why we love those cities, right? We love, you know, Rome and Vienna and Paris, all that. You know why we love them? They're, they're enchanting. They're beautiful. They're ancient. They're just, you just can't see enough about them because they're created on a Catholic ethos. In fact, to be specific, on a Eucharistic ethos. When you go to those cities, the way they're, you know, knows how they're designed, especially in Italy, you know, Catholic Italy, <laughs> they're designed on a Eucharistic model like a monstrance. It looked like, from the bird's eye view, it looked like a monstrance. There's a gathering place. The way they get around those areas, it's called piazzas. See, we get around with a grid here. Grids, yes. you know, corner of this and that. There, if you want to know where to go, you have somebody, where can I go, blah, blah, blah. They'll tell you, oh, piazza this, piazza that. It's like a, a gathering area in which all these real roads spill into. And what's there? A fountain, life, a church, cappuccino and pasta. <laughs> it's all that's good and human about life. It's about Eucharist, community that comes together with symbols of life, beauty, making community, enjoying things, enjoying food, like Eucharist is something we eat, you know, take in. And that is how those cities are designed. And that's why we love them because that is a Eucharistic ethos, which also appeals to the way God designed us as human beings. What do we want? We want beauty. We want community. We want togetherness. We want life. That's what the Eucharist is. Eucharist isn't just getting Jesus. Yes, it is. That. But it's about a whole understanding of life and, and, we, and what we human beings are made to desire, what's in our heart, how we're hardwired. And so they built cities along that idea of what is a human being. What is our deepest desire? Our deepest desire is for Eucharist, a Eucharistic existence. That's why it's the source and summit of our existence, because everything comes together in the Eucharist. Everything's understood by the Eucharist. And so they designed entire culture, cities, along the idea of Eucharist. And then, that is so fascinating. I never thought, I, I've seen aerial shots of cities in Italy, and I do notice they are circular, and they do have a central point. Yes. 
But to compare that to a monstrance is very, very fascinating. And I, I'm beginning to understand what you mean by designing well your life and your life's decisions based on these the core principle of seeing reality according to God's design and then responding right, to it. Exactly. If you're going to do anything, you do it according to how you understand, how you see God's design, whether it's from mathematics to government to laws to a to a, a uh, landscaping to a household to everything. If possible, we have to break in just a couple minutes. Can you tell me how would you then, how would one begin to respond to the no cash bail, the uh, the things in, in government. You're yeah. the one who brought up government after yeah, all. Right. Uh, how might you go about it in a different way? Since, yes, you can't, someone's not going to go to jail, even if they trespass. They can eventually become squatters. Right. This this law, system of laws, it was built on a foundation that is not how God intended, not according to right. uh, God's design. Right. How would you redo these laws in accordance with God's design, maybe. We would actually, actually, Paul, a lot of lot of improving, a lot of things that turn out to be good are really retrieving what was lost. Remember, these things have come along to wipe out. What we're, we're experiencing now, a time when they're trying to wipe out everything that was, wipe out basically God, and we're replacing God. We're now God. We're going to recreate the entire existence. That's what's really what's behind this. So they have to wipe it all out. And, and we have the answer. We're going to make it up. Here's, here's creation now. Here's law. Here's order, everything. You have to go back and, and retrieve what always was. If something has been around for a long, long time, it must be good. There must be something else to it. You have to go back to understanding the, the human person, what are rights. And also that sometimes being strong about something, you know, law is actually good. Like in the Catholic faith, we say that punishment is never just for evening the score. It's for redemption, to bring that person back to goodness. Mm-hmm. So by that, by understanding that punishment is not for getting even, no, but for redemptive purposes, we could begin to understand that instead of letting them, letting somebody trespass right. and squat, instead you could think, how could we help this person to be redeemed so yes. that they do not trespass again, right? Because, while forgiving them of their trespasses, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You it, help redeem them rather than exacerbate the problem, I guess, or keep the problem going. Exactly, letting them squat. And and justice is a part of this. You know, prudence, justice, they all goes compassion, all goes together. There has to be justice. What is just and right, and then there has to be what is compassionate. And you know what? What is just and right laws are good for everyone. Good for that person. You're not being mean to them. You're actually helping them. Again. Laws are designed according to God's design. Yes. God rules with two hands, one of justice and one of mercy. Yes, right? exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Go back to that. Now you got your whole justice system of your co- country. You can design design it on that basis now. Absolutely. Well, I got to okay. know those two things. Yeah. yeah. It comes back down to some core principles established by the Catholic faith, which is not just another religion. It is, in fact, the way. The way. And we will be right back to this conversation in just one moment. But first, here are a few words from our beloved sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you're inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and CatholicSpiritRadio.com. Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even in 
to the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. You're listening to a very, very fascinating, thought-provoking, and true conversation between me and Father Thomas J. Loya. I'm not saying much of anything. I'm just asking the questions here. (laughs) But, Father, basically what you're telling me, and I was saying it during the break, is I am am amazed at how I'm realizing just how true it is that if you just make every decision— and do everything according to what our Catholic faith teaches us. And I say the Catholic faith because the Catholic faith founded by Jesus Christ himself, that came before even the Bible. Protestants would say, look at the Bible according to the words, sola scriptura, nothing else. Forget tradition, forget everything that came before the Bible even. If we look at our Catholic faith, which is not just a religion, it is not another religion, it is the way, Mm-hmm. The way, the truth, the life, everything comes from Christ, God Himself. If we look at that and make decisions in every facet of life according to those principles in our faith, the best possible outcome will come about. People try. You talked about how in society today we want to. We're the masters of our own destiny. We're rediscovering the right way to live right. to to organize societies. And you know what? It makes me think about just now is. Now that we're kind of subscribing to that ideology, what has the result been for the mental well-being and the peace of the people who live in that society? Have we become more peaceful, more loving, more on the same page, more in harmony? It's all chaos, as we said before. Everybody's got anxiety. Everybody's has depression. Everybody's and they're trying to take a pill to relieve it. You know, and the answer is all in just putting on your Catholic glasses <laughs> and seeing life and living according to that. Think of think of how we, we can't be safe anymore, anywhere. No one feels safe anywhere. We have, uh, the, the cities are being decimated. The the crime, the violence, the, the domestic violence, sex abuse, sex trafficking, you go on and on and on. We're living in basically a cesspool. We're living in a sewer. We've turned this world into a sewer, literally, because we detached we detached, we went into every aspect of culture and detached it from the mystical. Whereas when it was good, it was great, it worked, is because every aspect of culture was imbued with that Catholic ethos, that, that, that way. As you said before, there was a way before there was a book. There's a story about uh, some Muslims came across uh, some Christians and they were had their Bible and the Muslims said to the Christians, hmm, well, I see you are people like us. We're people of the book, you know, the Quran. And the Christians responded, well, we have a book, just like you have a book. We have a book, but we're not people of the book. We're people of the way. The book just helps to describe the way, but the way is even bigger than the book. And that's why the book says, stick to your traditions. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And the difference between Muslims and Catholics is our book, if I understand correctly, which I do because I had a long conversation with one of the most popular Muslims in the Muslim world oh. in America. Wow. His name is uh, Sabil Ahmed. Oh. And it was by far my most famous episode on a podcast that I hosted. Oh, wow. And he, their book is sacred. 
mm-hmm. you can be killed for if you do uh, anything yeah. discriminatory towards that mm-hmm. book. I guess it's, I don't know what I'm trying to say here is we don't worship the book. No. Mm-hmm. And the book is a collection of historical documents more than anything. Right. And even Protestants start to get carried away with it. It's like, no, 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 sola scriptura. That book is, it is everything. That's all we need. Incorrect. Who right. someone wrote that book, don't you think the author is more of a wealth of knowledge than in everything that that author did and the traditions laid by him, exactly. by his predecessors, by the apostles? We can get into that another time. What we're yeah. talking about today is why Catholicism is the answer to a hurting world. It's the answer because if you see the reality around you according to God's design and respond to it accordingly, everything will fall into right order or at least Absolutely. closer to right Guaranteed. order. You know, Paul, when I, I do uh, pre-Cana classes, you know, and when I when the couples come, at the very beginning, I tell them, you are going to get in these sessions the guaranteed recipe for a happy marriage. And, and they look at me. And I said, I'm going to give you my phone number, my address, and, and the name of my lawyer. Because if that doesn't happen, I want you to sue me. <laughs> Sue me for false advertising. But I literally tell them, I'm going, you're going to receive the absolute guarantee for a happy marriage. There is such a thing. And we're going to give it to you. Now, you have to, of course, before you sue me, you have to follow it. That's the catch. You got to follow it, though. I'm going to give it to you, but you have to follow it. There is a guarantee for happy marriage. There is a whole recipe. And what we do for that, the guarantee is have them put on their Catholic glasses, and we're going to tell you, first of all, what is marriage according to God's design? Not what the world says. What is it really? What's the why behind it? The ultimate mystical why. So first thing I'm going to tell you. The second thing is we're going to teach you, show you what it means to be a man, what it means to a woman, and how to be that for each other. And that's going to start with us teaching you the why. Why are you a man? Why are you a man, Joe? that you're going to marry this girl, Susie. Why is she a woman? Not just that she is a woman. Why is she a woman? Because that's going to lead you into then how to treat her as a woman. In other words, her needs as a woman her and, and her fears as a woman. Same thing, Joe. If Susie understands you as a man, the why behind you, you're, you're being a man, what that's going to lead her to is unlock the secrets of what does my husband Joe, as a man, need from me as a woman, as his wife? What does he not need? What will hurt him as a man? Now, nine out of nine couples that come to me for marriage counseling, which I do a lot of these days, <laughs> nine out of nine, their problem is that. That's how I always tell them. There's no just, you know, I, I, you know, they, I ask them, what's going on? What's wrong? You know, and they start telling me and they're mad at each other. I say, well, I got good news for you. You don't have a marriage problem. There's no such thing. And look at me, what? We've been fighting for years. You know, There's only a problem in Joe, you understanding why you're a man, why she's a woman, how to be that for her. And Susie, you don't know why you're a woman, why he's a man, and how to be a woman for him. That's your problem. Well, that- my goodness. Um, sorry to cut you off. I just, I know we have only a few minutes, but we're mm-hmm. invested. I want to know, <laughs> the listeners want to know, uh, I, I think it was Fulton Sheen said one of the best ways to destroy a society or judge a society's quality is based on the quality of its women. And then also I've heard the number one way to destroy a nation is to destroy first the family. So can you tell me what exactly is it that these 
people that come to you need to understand what is, what does, why is a man a man and why is a woman a woman? Well, that would take about 10 more shows, but, (laughs) but briefly, again, you go to the mystical. Why? Because, okay, God created us man and woman, right? And it says that, and he said that the Bible says we're made in the image and likeness of God. God said, to be specific, it says in the Bible, let us make man in our image. In the divine image, he made him. What's the next line? Male and female, which means that being male and being female has to do something with imaging God. So the first thing you want to learn is how does a man image God? What part of God does he image? Does he make present on earth through his very person, his very, as John Paul II would call it, his, the, theo- the very theology of his body. In other words, our bodies, theology of body means the body reveals God. How, does, how is that in a man specifically? We, we go, we penetrate that real deeply. How is it in a woman? Her body's different than a man, similar in some ways, but different. How does her womanhood make present on earth this aspect of God? Because when you find that out, you put the two together and you have God. Through the man, you have his transcendence, his order, his authority. Through womanhood, you have his relationality, his tenderness, his love, his intimacy. You put those together and you've got God. And that's the start. That's where you start. Now, as you start to learn about what a man is, his transcendence, now you take the next step is to, okay, how is he hardwired? What does he look for? What does he need? Why is he hardwired like this way? That Now you're giving clues to the woman, to his wife. If she can pick up on that, I call it decoding his body, decoding his masculinity. What do these things mean? Now you can relate to him. Once again, Catholic glasses. Now you can relate to him in a way that's going to be loving and supportive because you understand him better. But if you don't understand that, what happens is when a couple doesn't understand the why behind their manhood and womanhood and what each other really needs, what happens is they relate to each other on the level of their greatest fears. And that's where the hurt starts and it spirals down and they want a divorce because they think they married the wrong person. (laughs) Say that line about fear one more time, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, there's... There's two ways to relate with husband and wife. One is to relate on the level of our greatest needs, our, our legitimate, genuine needs as a man. In other words, what does a man need from a woman by God's design? See, it's always God's Ooh, design. See, that's, I was about to say respect, but oh, by yeah. God's design, what, what's yeah, by the answer? God's, yeah, <laughs> but if you, if you, how was a man designed? Okay, now that's going to clue you in now. What do you think he might need if he's designed this way? If this is the why behind him. Same thing with a woman. Guys, how is she designed? I know you love her body. Why is her body this way? What does it say? What about her whole physiology? What does it say about what she needs then, given that she's made this way? I want to talk about not just her body, but mind, heart, soul, everything. Wow. Now, if you under if you can see that in each other, learn that, and you start to meet each other in on that level, you're going to have harmony. But if you don't know that, what's going to happen is you're going to start to relate to each other on the level of your greatest fears. Like what, what really hurts a man? What really hurts a woman? You're going to start doing that because you're not going to understand what you're doing. And you start to hurt. And that hurt is what's, and then you had the exchange of hurts. And that's what starts all the strife and the argument, the fighting, and then what they think is, has to end in divorce. None of that is necessary. So I take him through how they're a man, how they're a woman, why, how to be that for each other, because that's what they're missing. 
It never fails. It's every single case. Like I said, it's not nine out of 10. It's nine out of nine. The only other thing I add to that is, which is the overarching principle, is spirituality. So there's there's really two, two pillars for marriage. Spirituality and who we are as man and woman. You get those two right, guaranteed to have, have a happy marriage. Guaranteed. When things are going wrong, they're going wrong in one or both of those areas. That's what you have to look at. And if you can improve in those areas, you'll improve that marriage. Absolutely guaranteed. The two areas, one more time, are? Our spirituality. You know, mm-hmm. you know, their faith in God, prayer, forgiveness, all the aspects of spirit, Christian spirituality. Because you're two Christian people, right? So be Christian to each other. Second thing is the pillar of who each other is as man and woman, how to be that for each other. In other words, helping each other meet one another's legitimate needs as man and as woman. And you can whittle it down to one basic principle, one thing. If the guy understands this about her, she understands it about him, and you play off of that principle, kind of unwrap that, you're going to have a great marriage. Incredible. And it, and it, you have a great marriage when you understand their needs as a man according to God. And according how to God, right. Yes, not according to magazines or right, pop culture exactly. or anything. This is what a man needs and wants. Right. This is what you got to do as a woman. It's a recipe for disaster. Right. And as right. we get towards the end of this conversation, Father, I'm just thinking, to me, it's painfully obvious that there is a force trying to disrupt all of what we once knew as yes. a people, as as the creation of as God's people, as Catholics, yes. as Christians. It seems like the devil's... Right. In the mix here of what is corrupting what we all once knew. I mean, even just less than a century ago, it seemed like families, they got mm-hmm. divorced less. They went to yep. church oh, yeah. more. Mm-hmm. They understood what a woman and what a man were. Sexual promiscuity, the sexual revolution was not yet a thing. No. Would you agree with me that the devil, it's, he seems to be we're at work and making progress in the world today? Yes, I do. I do believe I've seen it. I'm at the age now where I actually can see kind of like the before, during, and after now. Like like you said, I knew the time when things were much different. And I'm not talking nostalgia. I'm talking about facts. And and I see that's where it started. Where, well, it's been progressive, but it hit high points, like, like spikes, you know. Things move evolutionary, but every once in a while, there's kind of a revolutionary moment, like a spike. And I saw the spike. The spike came... Uh, in uh, one of the spikes, there's several spikes in history. One of the big spikes came in the mid-60s, mid-late 60s. That was the spike. And we've been spiraling down here from, from there because what, what it is is that the devil, and he's kicked into high gear now, very high gear. It's incredible because it always comes down to this, going back to what I said at the beginning, reality versus ide- ideology. Okay, it's incarnation versus denying it. Why is, why is everything being destroyed that was built up in society, everything being denied, everything being eroded and changed because those things make God present on earth. And that's the devil's quest. He does not want God to be present on earth. So he's going to go into those things that make him present. And nothing makes God more present on earth than the love between man and woman, what we call marriage. You're spot on. And you know what then? People... To me, one of the greatest things, just, how do I say this? Acknowledging this strengthens my faith. It's, it's, I don't know if it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever. The fact that pride is perhaps the deadliest of sins Mm -hmm. and how prevalent pride is in society today makes me certain that the devil 
is at work. Mm-hmm. How do I mean this? I look at just this idea of I'm a self-made X, Y, or Z. It is up to you. We we are the masters of our own right. destiny. That is mm-hmm. so prideful. We don't need God. We don't need anything. In fact, you don't need the church. Let's do away with the church. Then in addition to the mockery, which I spoke to an exorcist, and he says that you know the devil mocks when he can, you look at the LGBTQ stuff. This is your sexual desires. You do that regardless of what any church, what Catholicism says. It's all up to you. You do whatever makes you happy. You, you, you. Pride, pride, pride. And then we're going to call this Pride Month, and we're going to call it Pride Parade. We're mm-hmm. going to celebrate it with a rainbow, which is a sign from God uh, mm-hmm. that he'll never flood the earth again. He'll sign that with the rainbow. And the rainbow is such a beautiful thing, and they're just turning everything. And not only that, what am I talking about? They're basically celebrating sexuality in every single way except the way that God right. intends it. Mm-hmm. It To me, it's scary because it just shows me how real the devil is and yes. how active he is. And you're saying that the way around that, not a way around that, the way to combat that and to at least make your life better and in the way God intended it is simply by understanding the truth, by simply seeing the reality according to God's design exactly, and responding to it exactly. according. That's it. You're blowing my mind today, Father. You really are. <laughs> because what you're saying is so true. It's relatively simple. Right. And you know what? It gives me an awful lot of hope, too. I hope a lot of people hear this conversation. And as we wind down here, is there anything you'd like to say in the few minutes we have left? Well, I went to, we were a very, very difficult time, probably maybe the worst time in history, perhaps, you know, and, and people, a lot of people have anxiety and, and lack of hope. But what you want to do is you want to hang on to hope that God has his plan. He's, he's unfolding it. It may be in a way we don't understand. Be, do what you can in your life, in your personal life, family. Try to be as holy as you can because you don't know what real difference that would make. It seems like it won't make a difference, but you never know. God will take it and multiply. Just do what you know is right. Have hope and trust that God has a plan that that in the end, of course, uh, it, he wins. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Father, for joining me today. It has truly been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here. And to everyone watching and listening, well, you can cut that part out, John. To everyone listening to this episode of Catholic Conversations, thank you so much for doing so. That was Father Thomas J. Loya. Listen to this episode on Spotify. Check us out on catholicspiritradio.org. And until next weekend, God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com.